All right, we are now, yes. Uh, oh, yes, Joel, I forgot. We are going to start next week in the prayer list, including two missionary names every week. And the, the bottom line on that is that we want to begin to pray on a regular basis for missionaries. So we're going to do this, and we're going to recycle this. Every, every week, there'll be two additional names. Uh, and so you'll see that. And the bottom line is we're going to pray for these people. Uh, and so uh, uh, I'm going to try to do this with the other class as well. We'll get into the regular habit of lifting up missionaries. So thank you, Joe Hart, for, for that uh, idea. All right, we are now going back to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 16, verses 5 to 11. This is now the single longest uh, presentation in the Gospel of John on the Holy Spirit. This is the single longest presentation, and it's spoken by Jesus, so it's very, very critical uh, to our theology to understand that. So if you follow along with me, John chapter 16, verse 5. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Wow, Jesus says so much in a few verses as he outlines again uh, the uh, coming Holy Spirit. And so you see Jesus is indicating that the Holy Spirit will not come and abide with us until Jesus leaves this world. Uh, it's almost the decree of God that the Lord has to go back, be at the right hand of God the Father, and at that point the Counselor will come, the Holy Spirit will come, the very Spirit of Jesus will be in this world. And we know very clearly uh, that at the time that you accept Jesus Christ, that you are saved, that you are sealed, that God seals that salvation with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to talk about all of that right now. And so the departure of Christ is imminent. The disciples are filled with grief. They are sorrowing. Uh, but God has prepared the greatest gift for them, the greatest gift for them and for us. And so they can only think of their impending loss. They only think of the impending loss, but Jesus is teaching them that this impending loss is going to be uh, followed by this great gift that will abide with them uh, forever. And so we see the, the longest presentation uh, about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. And so we see here, as Jesus outlines it, this ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, is first to the disciples themselves and then to the world at large. Uh, and so it's important to understand that. So what does the Holy Spirit do in relationship to the world? And we haven't talked about this too much be before. Uh, and the, the, the uh, answer to that question is found in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness 
and judgment. So how does the Holy Spirit convict the world of anything? How does that happen? And this is important because as you go out and begin to speak to people, I've often said to you that God calls us as messengers. And you're going to find that sometime when you're going to speak to people about Jesus, it's going to fall flat. It's almost as if you're speaking to a wall sometimes, uh, and, and you're not going to see a receptive spirit. And, and what I'm going to say to you is in that case, uh, the Holy Spirit has obviously not convicted that person of their need for a Savior. Uh, but when at other times you speak to somebody in, in, the, in the most innocuous of circumstances, and you see an immediate response, don't think, oh boy, was I really good today. <laughs> wow. Man, I must have really been on my A game. No, you, it's not your A game. It's his A game. It's the Holy Spirit doing this and the Holy Spirit uh, uh, preparing the ground, convicting the person. Not every person is going to be convicted. Uh, and so we want to we understand that. So it is still the world of men in opposition to God upon whom the Spirit works. Do you hear what I just said? It's upon the men in opposition to God on whom the Holy Spirit works. Now, it doesn't work in every single case because not everybody leaves themselves open to being receiving the Holy Spirit's working. But the Holy Spirit goes out and it convicts those in darkness. It convicts men uh, in opposition. And so the work is that divine power of conviction that works in spite of darkness and resistance of the carnal mind. Understand that? Just as God worked with you in the Holy Spirit preparing you to become a Christian, God goes out and begins to prepare people uh, who are in darkness, who are, have the most carnal nature. Uh, and, and God is bringing those whom he has uh, called to repentance. Now, you understand that I, I, I made this explanation to you from the beginning, and that is this, that God saw who you were before he made you. He knew what decisions you would make in your life before he made you. How? I don't know. I'm not God. But the Bible tells me this. And so what I believe that, meaning God saw that you would be one who would accept him. And so what does God do? He prepares you and calls you and brings you to the spot where the Holy Spirit gives you the grace to raise your arms in need. Lord, I need a savior. That's how this all works. And so our job is to present the gospel when God calls us to do that, but we rely on the Holy Spirit to prepare the ground. And let me make this absolutely clear to you. You can speak from now until the cows come home, and unless the Holy Spirit is out pre uh, preparing people's hearts, nobody will come to God. Do you hear what I just said? It's not about you. It's not about the eloquence or your rhetoric or your intellect or your ability to mesmerize the crowd. It's about God taking the Holy Spirit and preparing people to hear the message so that when the message comes, they are convicted. They are convicted. I told you the story of my own self uh, that I was always saved. But the question for me was, 
where was where was the rest of my life going to be spent in service to God? I didn't know that. And there, that that sixteen year old mentally handicapped girl in a darkened church with nobody there and two thousand empty seats said in the most simple way. Oh, I love Jesus. He's my personal savior. And the Holy Spirit had prepared my heart to hear that message so that when it came, I had a knife through my heart and I heard the Lord speak to me in my head. Why? Because that's what God had preordained. That was the Holy Spirit preparing me. Now, I'd listened to a thousand sermons, a thousand sermons from the time I was, you know, a baby. In church constantly. Did those sermons have an important part? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. But you never know how the Holy Spirit prepares you for that seminal event where God is pulling the curtain up for the rest of your life. And that's what God is telling us about how this works and how it works uh, on a dark man's mind uh, in opposition to God. And so the first reality of the, of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Jesus gives an immediate explanation here in verse 9. Why? He says, because men do not believe in me. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit is convicting people of the need of a Savior, the need of a savior, and there's only one savior. And so the Holy Spirit convicted the world uh, in two senses. First, it's almost like a prosecuting attorney. The Holy Spirit uh, secures a verdict of guilty against the world. Now, you can't really be saved. You can't really come to the uh, determination that you are in desperate need of a savior unless you come to the conclusion that you are deep in sin, that you are lost in sin. Now, we, it's, it's very difficult for a, a one human being to say to another human being, uh, you know, you're, you're going to hell. You understand? That's not, that's not, that's not really productive. <laughs> that's not productive. But if you say to somebody, we are all in need of a savior. Uh, I myself am, am in desperate need of a savior. And it's only when God sh demonstrated to me that I needed that savior, that I was lost in my own world and in my sin. And when you say that, and the Holy Spirit convicts the other person, that's when you're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit move forward. And so the Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt. Guilt. Uh, and the world needs to be convicted, okay? I mean, every day you, you hear more and more things about depravity. The issue now that we see coming forward where we see so many of these powerful men uh, uh, sexually abusing uh, women who, who are beneath them is disgusting, all right? It's disgusting, frankly. Uh, and yet you see this is how we are as people. This is the natural aspect of who we are, that as we get more powerful and more affluent, the very nature of our affluence and power forces us to abuse people beneath us. That is how the human condition is, all right? So don't go telling me that the basic humanity is basically good. Humanity is basically depraved, all right? Any study of world history will show you that. We are depraved. All right? We are lost. 
And it is only the Holy Spirit that convicts us of that. Because otherwise, we're going to sit there in our relative morality thinking, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good, I'm a good father. I'm a good provider. I'm a, I'm a good husband. All right, you, you, you're saying as a woman, I'm a good wife. I've taken care of my husband. You know, and yet you're not focusing on the inner loss of, of your spirit, the sin that is deep within your heart, that hole in your heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit convicts us about. And second, the Holy Spirit brings the guilt home to the, un- to the human consciousness so that we become disturbed by our condition and we seek repentance and salvation. This is important. It's not that you're just convicted of the guilt. It's that the Holy Spirit says to you, I need a remedy. I need help. I can't stay in this condition. I need a savior. And this all goes on unseen, unseen as the Holy Spirit is working on people. You have no idea sometimes. Uh, Somebody did a study, I don't know if it was the, the Pew group or the Barna group that did a study that said that the average salvation, they had, they had done some statistical analysis, came after 48 interventions. How do you like that? That was the study. After 48 interventions, meaning, you know, uh, you can imagine that. There are 47 people have come and spoken about God, spoken about Jesus, spoken about the need to come to God. And what do people do? They slough it off. They're not ready. They didn't listen. They don't care. And yet I believe that the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working. And I'm saying this to you. Many of you have children that you're concerned about, and I want to give you this information. And so now you're the 48th person to come to that person, and you say, by the way, I want you to know uh, God has spoken to my heart. I love you. I would love for you to come come to church with me, to worship with me, and I show you who God is. And that person says, yes. And you're going, yeah, I'm the man. Meanwhile, the 47 people before that carried the football, you know, you've forgotten them. You understand? But that's the point I want to tell you, that God has given each one of us a responsibility. So maybe you're number three or number 11 or number 25. I don't know. But the point is, God expects each of us uh, to do that bit uh, in terms of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of seeing the Holy Spirit in action. An example of the ministry of the Holy Spirit occurred on the occasion of the Holy Spirit's coming to power on the day of Pentecost. Now, you know the story. Jesus told the 120 disciples and followers to wait in the upper room, to wait in the upper room. Uh, and, and so they wait in the upper room, and, and finally, I believe it's 40 days afterwards, uh, the Holy Spirit descends on the upper room, and, and now the, the, it says tongues of fire appeared on the heads of those people as the Holy Spirit descended and came into the church for the first time, announced its presence, announced its, effectively announced the church age uh, at that point in time. And so now each of these 120 people begins speaking in a foreign language in a foreign language that was now understood on the streets of Jerusalem because there's now one million people in Jerusalem for the, for the holiday, and they hear 
the gospel of Jesus Christ preached not only in their native tongue, but in their dialect. How can you imagine that? It would be as if you were hearing English spoken in New Jersey, but not just from New Jersey, but Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> you know, I don't speak that language. But the point would be, God so tailors the message that people would hear this miraculously in their own tongue. And so now you can imagine the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit doing this, all right? These people don't know what they're saying. They don't understand these foreign languages that they're speaking in. But uh, it's an incredible uh, statement of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here the people are hearing the message, and now they are cut to the quick. These are the same people who reviled Jesus, who crucified Jesus, who reviled the disciples, who reviled the message. Um, and so I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. I, I love speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit because, frankly, it's not taught enough. It's misunderstood, and I want, and I want to make sure I really, I really bring this message home to you. Uh, and and if, you, if you look at this and you, and you read what, first of all, what Peter is saying uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. It's the Holy Spirit that is lifting Peter up and, and in fact, giving him the very words that he's saying. And why do I say that? Because here's the point. 40 days or so earlier, uh, 60 days earlier, this is the same man who denied Jesus three times. So what happened? What happened? The guy that denied Jesus three times, in fact, blasphemed Jesus just to prove that he couldn't possibly be one of those disciples, one of those Christians. Now this guy's out in the street with thousands of people, and look at the, look at the nature of the, of the um, uh, message. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and that's who the audience is, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he gives the prophecy from Joel there in, uh, through verse 21, that there would be men who would speak in foreign tongues. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. By the way, look at that. This man was handed over by you and God knew it through his foreknowledge and allowed it. And we know his foreknowledge is on display through scripture. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and David gave that prophecy about him uh, and, and, and tells you that as well. And so continuing on in verse 29, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Uh, and so you see it then verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke 
of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body seek to, to see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Now imagine this. This is the same guy. He denied Jesus. 60 days, 90 days earlier, but now he's, he's, he's basically prosecuting the unbelief of the Jews. He's out, in the, out on the street amidst thousands of people. I mean, really, no fear for his life. He saw what they did to Jesus. How do you do that? How do you speak without fear? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are saying to me, oh, John, I wish I could, I could talk to people about Jesus, but I don't have the courage. Folks, if you just say to God, Lord, give me grace, give me the strength, he'll pour his strength into you. He'll pour his grace into you, and you will speak the likes of which you never thought you could speak because you're not speaking from your own mind in your own words. You're going to speak the words of God that God has ordained. That's what the Holy Spirit is about, understanding this. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's so incredible about this. Now look at what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit filled Peter, gave him the words. Now he's preparing the people to hear. All of this is unseen, but is going on. And now look at verse 37. And, and this is the import of what I want to teach you today. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? Now, ladies and gentlemen, what happened? What happened? Why didn't this happen earlier? Why didn't this happen at the cross? Why didn't ha this happen 60 days earlier? Why didn't people come under enormous conviction before? It didn't happen because the Holy Spirit had not been placed in this world. And now you see the Holy Spirit being there and coming down and mass conviction taking place. These same people, many of whom I'm sure were there at the cross, some of whom were consenting to Jesus' death. Now they say, brother, what shall we do? What shall we do? And so the Holy Spirit not only convicts us of our sin, but convicts us to the point where we say, Lord, I need a savior. I need help. Lord, help me. And that's what you see here. Peter replied, look at this, man. This is so great. The same guy who, who blasphemed Jesus and walked away. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You understand this? Repent and be baptized, be saved, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, all coming together at one time. And you see that. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. There it is. God is no respecter of persons. You know, I had the pleasure of listening to my son's sermon last week. And he spoke on, on uh, uh, Gospel of John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. And he said that the picture of the woman at the well is one of the great metaphors in all of Bible. Because the woman at the well, the very well where the Samaritan woman was in, was the same well where Abraham met his wife. 
all right? And so there is a metaphorical picture there of God, of God joining with the church, meeting the, the bride of the church. And so here you have Jesus at the well meeting with this person who is so outside the confines of what respectable society would have. Married, you know, married and with many men, seven different men over her life. Living such a despicable life that she can't even go and get water when, when the other women would go at dusk or early in the morning. She had to go in the heat of the day because she knew that she lived a depraved life. What's so outside of the respectability of other people. And yet there is Jesus at the well, effectively meeting the bride of the church. Meaning what? We are the bride. We in our fallen, despicable nature. That is who Jesus adopts. Does this blow your mind? He didn't come. He didn't come for the so-called righteous, the so-called holy. He came for the Samaritan women, for those who were fallen in sin, fallen outside the scope. And by the way, look at what Jesus said. He didn't condone that lifestyle, but he extended love. You understand? He extended love. And so that's what you see here through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so here's this message given, and the Holy Spirit is inspiring him. The Holy Spirit is, is preparing the ground, and what happens? Uh, and, and what happens? Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. 3,000 people added to the church on that day. 3,000 people. Why? Because God had prepared them through the Holy Spirit. God had prepared the messenger. God had prepared the recipient. This should fill your heart with hope to see what God can do with you and to those who mean so much to you that you love and so you pray for them and you pray that God will convict them. Uh, and so uh, we have no power to convict humanity as a sin, of their sin. None. I don't care who you think you are, how eloquent you are, you will not be able to convict humanity. Uh, and, and it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that people are, are convicted. The average unbeliever does not look at himself and believe he's a sinner. You got that? The average unbeliever does not think he's a sinner. He thinks he's fine. Some of them think they're righteous, all right? And so you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, I'm going to give them the gospel. I'll show them. Oh, yeah, they'll be on their knees. And you're preaching, and it's like, boom, nothing's happening. Boom, and words are falling flat. Oh, and, and why? Because you're not going to convict anybody of anything. I don't care if you're the greatest speaker in the world. Your words are not going to convict anybody of anything. But if you speak combined with the power of the Holy Spirit, every syllable will be a sword. Every word will cut. Every word will expose our inner needs. And it's that exposing of our hearts that God works on uh, and demonstrates uh, how much how much we are in need of a savior. So here, here's the other thing that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit has also said to convict men and women of righteousness. 
True righteousness is demonstrated in the actual personage of Jesus Christ. There is no righteousness other than the righteousness of Jesus. Okay? And so when we finally get this through our thick skulls, we will forget all these supposed acts of charity and generosity that we think demonstrate our righteousness. And I will submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that your righteousness, as good as it may be, in relative comparison to the rest of the world, is like filthy rags. It's like filthy rags to God. Always, always compare yourself to Jesus. Don't go comparing yourself to the guy on the street next door to you. Don't go comparing yourself to people in your club. Oh, I'm so much better. Look at me, I'm in church this morning. They're out, they're out playing golf. They're out on a boat. They're fishing. They're on a world tour, and I'm in church. You know, don't go, don't go doing that. Don't, don't go doing that. You need, to, you need to look at Jesus and compare yourself to Jesus and see the righteousness of Jesus, because when you see the righteous, you look in the mirror and you see Jesus staring back at you. Here's how you go. Oh, I can't look. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, I'm so far from the mark. Oh, God, I repent. Lord, help me to be better. And, and so I want to, again, give you another example, another example of the power of the Holy Spirit to show you. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And in this passage, this is, this is when Cornelius the Gentile, and so here we have God now bringing the Gentiles into the fold. Up until this point, there are no Gentiles that have come into the fold. The Samaritans have come in, and the Samaritans weren't really Jews. Uh, they were half Jews. They had really been a watered-down uh, race. But now God will bring the Samaritan, the Gentiles into the church. And he will do this by preparing Peter to demonstrate that if I made something, it's not unclean. You know that story of the, the tablecloth coming down with all the food that had been uh, really verboten to Jews and Jesus and, the, and God said, the angel said, if I made it, it is not forbidden. All right, and three times. And finally, Peter is called to go to Cornelius, uh, a Roman centurion, uh, a Gentile, who's interested in hearing about the, uh, the gospel. Now look at Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 44. And so Peter comes, and Peter is giving his oration to the house of Cornelius. He's preaching to them. And Cornelius had brought in his relatives and his neighbors. And look at, look at the efficacy of the Holy Spirit. This is for those of you who think, I really got to polish that speech I'm going to make. I got to really work it up. I got to work it up good. I got to really work it up. And so look at, look at Cornelius here. While, while Peter was still speaking, you got that? He's still speaking. He hasn't said, let's have an altar call. He hasn't said, let's do a benediction. I'm now going to ask everybody who wants to, I'm going to, I want you all to come up, and I'm not knocking that in any way, but I'm showing you when the Holy Spirit works, how, how it works. He's still speaking. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the, the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. What does that mean? It means that Peter was with the Jews who had become disciples, and they're at the house, and they cannot believe what they're seeing, that the Holy Spirit would descend on the unwashed masses, the Gentiles. Yeah, 
That's God. That's the nature of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. What a powerful message. And the entire house is saved. The entire house is saved. And so you see the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I say, God, give us the grace to understand this. And one other passage that talks again about the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, let's talk about that. I know you don't want to hear that right now. We're early in the morning to hear that. But you understand that about Ananias and Sapphira. Just turn quickly to that, Acts chapter 5, as I bring this to a close. Acts chapter 5. And so you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira decided that they would, like everybody else, sell their property. Everybody else was selling it. Everybody else was bringing it and bringing it all to the church, giving it all away to those in need. But Ananias and Sapphira had concocted a little plan. We'll tell them we're giving them all, but we'll keep back some for ourselves. Come on, what's the, what's, aren't we entitled to keeping some for ourselves? But we'll tell them. We'll tell them that we've given it all. And you see this here. Uh, and so uh, you look at uh, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received in the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. If you have any doubt about who the Holy Spirit is, he's just clarified it there for you. The Holy Spirit is God. You've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and they dragged him out head first. All right, and you know the story later. His wife committed the same lie. lie. And by the way, if she had, had repented and gone and told the truth, they, she, wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have died. She wouldn't have been killed, all right? But lying to the Holy Spirit. So you see the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself, in every possible way, intervening with us through the world, convicting the world of our need for a Savior, giving you the words that you need to say, elevating your words so that the words meet the needs of the people and the gospel of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is carried across to a people in desperate need. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for your words, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you've given us the Holy Spirit that has, has anointed us and given us the grace to study you and to learn more about you and to understand your life and to give us the chance to spread the gospel to a world that's in need. Lord, I ask you that you continue to put the Holy Spirit on all of our people. Lift them up. Give them courage in every way to confront a world lost in its sin. Lord, protect our people. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.